I'm not supposed to be here. I was told I would die before my 28th birthday, yet I am 50 years old. I'm a wife, a mother, a grandmother, and I have an amazing life despite living with two terminal illnesses. It's time for me to share my story before I can't. So here it goes. I'm Kelly Wilson, and this is my life in pieces. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited about today's bonus podcast. When you meet someone with the same battle as you, the connection seems almost instant. It doesn't matter at what point in life you both are in. The bond is created and you feel safe to talk with that person about almost anything. That's what happened with my next guest. Um, I met her through a friend of mine and I want you to meet her too. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Well, thank you, Kelly. It's an honor to be invited to do this podcast with an individual who's well-respected, who gives back to her community and who advocates, you know, for others in need. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, um, I'm a high school teacher and I'm retiring in June of 2021. And I graduated from the University of New Brunswick in 1991 with an education degree. I also had the experience of traveling to Amman, Jordan in 2001 and teaching technology at the Albalca University. And during most of my years of teaching, I spent a lot of volunteer time coaching several sports and capturing a few provincial titles. Um, I've learned, you know, when you give back to your community and build relationships, memories will be there for a lifetime. I get married in 1991 and started a family in 2003. I have two amazing children presently in grades 11 and 12 at Fredericton High School. Hmm. School must be different with everything going on this year. So I hope everyone is well. Um, so let's delve right into things. How did you find out about having cardiac sarcoidosis? Well, in December 2019, our family traveled to Florida for a vacation. And we like to travel a couple times a year during Christmas and March break when the kids are off school. We decided to go to Universal Studios and I looked at my husband and I said, I'm not sure if I can do all the walking as I haven't been feeling that good lately. He looked at me like I was a superhero and said, you can do it. I said, okay, but I could stay back with my parents <laughs> and relax and enjoy my day. But of course I went, mother always do what they think they should. So when we arrived, yeah. I walked for about 20 seconds and I had to stop and then start again and stop again and start again. And it was annoying. And one of my children said, this is not going to be a good day. And I said, exactly. If I continue, I'm going to have to get a wheelchair or I'll have to go back to the resort. Well, we all took into the lapping. And because I was always <laughs> in good shape, I did like rock climbing, rappelling, hiking or playing sports. So we went to the location where they provided wheelchairs and I get in one of the wheelchairs and everyone took turns pushing me around. I did not like that at all. So there was no electric wheelchairs as they were sold out because of the holidays. So I'm a very independent person. And I said, if we're going to do this all week, I will need an electric wheelchair. And that is what we did. So I can enjoy the memories with my family. And I went with the electric wheelchair. So when we arrived back to Canada, I thought maybe I should go see a doctor. 
And I went to the Fredericton Hospital and I had several tests done. And then they sent me to St. John, the New Brunswick Heart Center. And my heart rate was going down to 18 at times. And I was having pauses during like the day and night. And the cardiologist, he ordered a angiogram where I had normal arteries and later had a pacemaker implanted. I figured that I probably had an artery blocked as my father had had blocked arteries in the past. So in February, 2020, I was diagnosed with cardiac sarcoidosis in St. John by my cardiologist. I remember the nurses bringing in the literature and I didn't even read it. I couldn't even pronounce sarcoidosis at the time. <laughs> I was in denial. I didn't even want the pacemaker. I said to the cardiologist, are you sure I need this device? He said, well, <laughs> he said, well, um, I will probably have a hard time sleeping tonight if you don't get one. So he showed me the angiogram and how there was a lot of flat lines on the sheet of paper. And he said, this is what took place during your angiogram. When I saw this, I thought, well, maybe I do need a pacemaker. So I signed the paperwork and I had one implanted the next day. So that's. So you just thought that there must have been something family history or, you know, hereditary that was going yeah, on. Yeah, I just, I figured, basically. yeah, blocked artery. So what was your initial reaction to the diagnosis? Well, I never had much of a reaction, to be honest with you. I am the type of person that whatever comes my way, I deal with it. If there's a problem, what's the solution? So I just stay positive. So I didn't really have a big initial reaction. And I know my was diagnosed. I mean, it's very rare to have sarcoidosis of the heart. And I never heard of anybody uh, in my province other than you 24 years later since me. So, um, you know, for me, I didn't. I couldn't even spell it for four years. And, you know, it was so, um, it wasn't something that was common. So the doctors, how they even explained it wasn't clear or, you know, I didn't feel like I was getting the information that I needed. So how did you tell your family? Um, because I'm assuming that, you know, you wouldn't know all about it at that time. Yeah, well, I kind of landed in the hospital with shortness of breath. So I went to the emergency and my family was aware, but I was telling them that everything was okay because I didn't want them to worry about me. And so I didn't tell a lot of individuals that I even went to the hospital because I felt like I could deal with this on my own. And if I was in the hospital, you know, we should have the expertise in the hospital, the professionals that can look after me. And I didn't really say too much to my family because I didn't want them worrying because we've dealt with health issues in the past and I just didn't want to put no more burden on them. So the moment that you were diagnosed, if you could use one word to describe that, what would it be? Crazy. I just thought I'm 50 years old and why am I going through this? I looked up the age of people even getting pacemakers when they said I need a pacemaker and it said the average age was 75 years and older. I thought to myself, then why do I need a pacemaker? The cardiologist in St. John, was <laughs> he was very thorough with, with his diagnosis. 
And he, I'm sure he looked at me and thought, okay, she wants out and she's not healthy. He ordered like a cardiac MRI, PET scans, EKGs, sleep apnea tests, lung tests, chest scans, blood work, etc. You name it. I'm sure there's a book on me down there because they were doing so much that I was overwhelmed. I didn't even know what they were doing. They were testing for Lyme disease, anything and everything. So he never stopped until he knew without a reasonable doubt that it was cardiac sarcoidosis. And he even ordered a couple biopsies to confirm it 100% before he put me on any medications. Right. And I know exactly what that feels like because I feel that um, back then, if I look back, I got my first pacemaker at 27. So I remember asking them like, why am I getting all these tests? Like, what does this even mean? Because there was so much going on that I wasn't getting a lot of information given to me. I was just, you're going here, you're doing this. I would stay in the hospital and, and have test after test. So I completely uh, understand what you're saying there. So why don't you tell everyone, my listeners, what, um, how you came to find me? Well, um, well, how I came to find you was uh, <laughs> I was in a meeting, a business meeting in Fredericton, and two of your friends were in that meeting, and I was telling them that I was just diagnosed with cardiac sarcoidosis because in that meeting, they needed to know that I was diagnosed with this. So they looked surprised and kind of shocked, but never said anything. And I was shocked as it is a rare condition. And I did not think someone in the Fredericton area would have the same diagnosis when I looked it up online. So the next day I was talking to one of your friends and they said, Kelly, call Kelly. She'd love to talk to you. Like, you know, reach out. And I'm thinking, well, I said, sure. If you think she would want to call me. And I'm thinking, why would she want to call me? She's got enough on her plate, but she called me. I said, you, you called me and introduced yourself and ever since. But I'd love to tell you my first Well, okay. Well, um, <laughs> I'm scared, but go ahead. <laughs> well, when you called me, I was very grateful because you called me like the next day. I was like, gee, this is quick. Her friend called her. She's calling me like the afternoon. So my first impression of you was, wow, like she's a trooper. I could tell you were sincere and really wanted to help me. And I didn't even know you. I guess I'm so used to giving to other people that I'm not used to getting in return. So it impressed me. So I remember you gave me a lot of information and I thought, I hope my situation doesn't get this out of hand. Then one day you invited me to come to your house to have a conversation about what the diagnosis really meant. And I thought she's even inviting me to her house and it's COVID. And oh, I hope I don't give her COVID. <laughs> I didn't think I had COVID, but I was scared because I thought she's so sick. And then I'm thinking, I'm sick too. But I didn't really think I was sick. I just <laughs> thought she was sick. So uh, so I went to her house and you kept saying, you would say, I hope I'm not scaring you. And I would say, not at all. I thought she's like a lawyer. Follow her direction and you'll be okay. If not, that's your problem. Because she's telling you what you should do. And if you don't do it, well, she probably, she's not really going to give up on me though. So I knew without a doubt, you knew your stuff and I should listen and take notes. 
So I was writing frantically at the first phone call, I remember, and almost overwhelmed. But I did have a peace that came over me and I was not scared. And I'm still not scared, even though it is concerning. And I know you were looking at, you were looking at me and thinking, she has no idea what she's been diagnosed. Then you said, you should have a defibrillator or you might not be around in a year. I would say, really? You would then say, well, you need a second opinion. I, I did some research myself on a doctor in Ottawa and I was telling you about the cardiac sarcoidosis specialist. And I thought, should I call his office? And I didn't really want a second opinion, but I knew Kelly would not be happy, I thought. And she is not gonna stop calling until I get that second opinion. So I did have a hard time with that implant. I told Kelly about the implant that I had with my pacemaker. And the surgeon was saying like during the pacemaker implant that I was clotting and collapsing and he was hitting scar tissue. And in my mind, I thought, I don't need this again. Like, I'm not going through this again. So Kelly would call me and say, well, did you call Ottawa? I thought, I better call just to see if I would be a candidate and a doctor. So a candidate for this defibrillator. And the doctor said, yeah, you're a candidate for the defibrillator pacemaker. So I sent all my documents to him. So I traveled to Ottawa on August 3rd and had the surgery. August 4th. Um, and I come back home August 5th. So it was just like an in and out. So the COVID situation was make the COVID situation was making me a bit nervous because I went into the hospital in Ottawa all by myself, had an EKG and other tests that they did that morning. And then I waited until about three 30 in the afternoon to have the surgery. So I thought to myself, if the surgeon's not confident, I'm not getting it done. I will walk out of here and not get this defibrillator. I don't need this in my life. I thought to myself as I didn't know what to expect because the previous pacemaker implant was difficult and I assumed it could be my anatomy. I wasn't sure, but I thought I'm not taking no chances. If he's confident, I'll do it. If he's not confident, I'm out of here. So the surgeon met me and he looked at me and said, um, I have a pacemaker to put in an elderly gentleman and you're next. He said, I know your history and I will only be about 40 minutes. I looked at him and I said, I hope you're right as the previous procedure was very long. He said, no, you'll be fine. So I went in feeling good and everything actually went well and I'm healing well and you wouldn't even know it's in there. It's done. Well, it's done. I remember, <laughs> exactly. And I remember going through that process with you because I felt that you just, you, you were very positive, but kind of, uh, oblivious to really um what the normal treatments were and because there's so few people that's where I always sought out the best of the best and and tried to I would get a second opinion a third opinion but I knew you needed a defibrillator because if you research it, which you ended up doing, that's kind of the number one thing that you need to stop sudden death when you have sarcoidosis of the heart. So you were a, you were a hard one. I know you're a teacher, but holy, you were you were uh, you were a tough one for me trying to teach you because you would be like, "Do you think I really need that? No, because I think I'll be fine." And and I appreciated that, and I. 
think going forward, when we met with your doctor on Zoom call, I just felt like it gave you even some peace during that, knowing that you would be in better hands, not putting down our physicians here at all. I think they're all amazing, but because it is such a, you know, such a rare thing and these doctors in Ottawa deal with it on a daily basis. I just felt that you were in better hands and it, I know it gave me comfort knowing that and even though you had to go through another procedure and certainly didn't want to I'm glad that you did and you know you're definitely a trooper so going forward what's currently happening with your diagnosis right now like how are you feeling and tell me about that well um the doctor in Ottawa did change my medications so I was on a heart transplant drug and then now I'm on steroids and antibiotics. Um, I'm feeling big, <laughs> my face, my neck, my stomach. So it's, that's not a great feeling. But overall, I'm feeling fine. Um, I do have um, a PET scan this month to see what's happening. So hopefully there won't be too many light ups in my system because one doctor told me I lit up like a Christmas tree. So I'm hoping I don't light up like a Christmas tree and have to stay on these steroids too much longer. But um, I'm just hoping for a positive result in the PET scan this month, and then we'll go from there. And I also can uh, understand that I've been on steroids and gained, you know, 40 pounds from them. And it, and it is tough. It may, even though you know you need that to help with your treatment plan and and that's something that they always give in this situation and they don't make you feel very good and and you know I a lot of the times people will say well you're still here and and you know but it's still tough when you're feeling so bloated and they make you so you can't sleep and that you want to eat more and and it's just kind of a nasty drug but I guess we should be appreciative for that drug too, because I do feel that, you know, it really helps to repress the sarcoidosis. That's, that's one of the key drugs that they give to everyone. And so other than that, and feeling that way, how do you stay positive? Well, I've always stayed positive, no matter what I've been through in life. You know, there's always someone else that's going through something worse. I always think, and I have a family that needs me. And I believe in miracles and I know I'm going to be fine. So I guess, uh, you know, I always just stay positive and speak positivity and, and, you know, just don't talk negative because negativity just brings you down. So I try to, you know, be as positive as I can be and stay around positive people. And I think I'm the same way. And I think that's why you and I found this connection. Even when you were walking into my house my neighbors were like, is she your sister? Or asked you something if you were my sister yes. or something like that. And and we don't look anything alike, except we both have brown <laughs> hair. But, you know, it was just kind of one of those meetings that didn't have any uncomfortable, you know, parts in it, like the conversation just flowed. And I was really happy to be able to help. And I mean, I'm 20 four years into this diagnosis and 
when you're 24 years into this diagnosis too, hopefully we can still be sipping tea on our back decks and, uh, you know, reminiscing over all of this stuff. What advice would you give to someone in similar shoes to you? Definitely to talk to someone that has been through it because now that I have you kind of as a mentor, it makes, it makes a lot. um, It just, it helps so much because even my husband will say, call Kelly. If there's something, (laughs) if there's something that I'm not sure of call Kelly, because she's probably been through it. She'll give you a recommendation because I really do believe that you do have to be an advocate for yourself because even all the medical experts and professionals out there, they don't know everything and they're not with you 24 seven. So if you don't ask the questions, you're not going to get. And I think, you know, get on cancellation lists, uh, whatever you have to do to be an advocate for yourself because you, and, and if you can find someone that could mentor you that has been through it and that doesn't mind, uh, helping you like you, um, it, it definitely makes a difference because you've got a professional, you know, you're more professional than the experts because you've been through it and you've had the world renowned doctor at your side. And, um, you know, I would call you before I'd probably call the doctor. And then I call the doctor and say, this is what my friend (laughs) said. He said this for 24 years. And I do feel that, sometimes we just, it's not that you don't want to be an advocate for yourself, but sometimes we just don't know the questions to ask. So finding the questions to ask, writing everything down. So when you are in front of your doctor, you can ask the questions. You, you should not leave until you get the answers that you're looking for. Leaving you know, feeling uneasy or that you haven't got the answers or a resolution. And I think it, in this situation, that was exactly it. You still felt uncertain here with what had gone on. So once we spoke to the doctors in Ottawa, you had more answers. You had more of a plan. I remember I was like, okay, so let's recap to him, you know, just to go over things to say what, you know, when's she going to start this treatment? When's she going to get the defibrillator? You know, and it was very fast. You were, I think, two or three weeks by the time you got up and got your device changed and and everything. So I'm really happy that I got to meet you. Um, You're just a blessing for me and your positivity and your, the way you have dealt with this is uh, really amazing. And And I feel like I'm the fortunate one. So um, before we sign off, I want to know if you have a quote or an affirmation that resonates with you and your life. Well, I've always liked the quote. um, It's unknown author, but it's be strong now because things will get better. It might be stormy now but it can't rain forever. And I just find that, Uh you know, I I always like that quote. And uh, I've seen people go through hard times. I was hoping I was never going to go through a hard time, but you never know what life's going to bring you. But I, I believe in that quote. And I think that, you know, people should listen to it and realize that 
it might be stormy now, but it can't rain forever. And you're going to see, you know, the end of the tunnel. And I feel like I'm going to be an inspiration for someone down the road and help someone out because of what I went through. I know you will be for sure. And I want to thank you, Lisa, for being so open with your life. I know that this isn't easy and, you know, with everything that you're going through. And I just want to um, wish you all the best. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me today. Well, I appreciate you too, Kelly, um, for having me this afternoon and for all the encouragement and the time that you've taken for me when you've had enough to deal with every day, your life struggles. And I know I can text or call you at any time, morning, noon, or night, in the middle of the night, and you will make time for me. And so you're a true hero that inspires others, you know, to be an advocate for their own well-being. And I know that when I call you, you would never say, I don't have time for you. You would make time. And uh, I just really, really appreciate it. And I thank you for everything that you've done to help me out. And I know I'll be calling you again for information, professional information. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you too. And we will talk okay, soon. Thanks, Kelly. I cannot stress enough that you need to be your own advocate when it comes to your health. Arm yourself with as much information as you possibly can and just don't take no for an answer. Don't leave until you feel completely comfortable with what's going on with your health in any way, whether it's big or small. And I also want to thank my listeners for tuning in. Whether you're driving, sitting at work, on a walk, or whatever you happen to be doing right now, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen.